0: This is Frameform.
1: Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to Frameform. hope you are listening wherever you are most comfortable or where you're most uncomfortable and hope that this is making you more comfortable.
0: I'm standing, <laughs> so some people will say that's uncomfortable, but... I'm actually pretty comfortable because my butt hurts. I'm in shock that you're standing.
2: I fully thought you were sitting right now. So do you have like a standing desk? Are you Um, fancy like that?
1: Oh Oh my gosh. Listeners.
0: What? You can't see me, but I just tilted my webcam down to reveal that I was standing on two feet. Look at you leveling up. That's awesome.
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Standing tall, standing tall (laughs) like a great redwood.
2: And uh, I am deeply rooted on my wedge pillow on the floor (laughs) right
1: now. And though you may be sapped of your energy and uh, feel like you have nothing left to leave on the table, we're here for you. That's right. We're here to talk about forests in dance film, which actually ends up being... um, a bit of a tricky topic, surprisingly enough. I don't know about you, but every year, whenever I'm looking through uh, submissions or doing jury work, uh, either for San Francisco or for other uh, organizations uh, like Dance Cinema, um, there's reliably five or six films that take place in forests. And a lot of those thumbnails have like the same variation on a theme, usually like an ant's eye view looking up at uh, the forest canopy with the sky in the background. And very rarely do those films stand out enough for selection. Now, this has been a mystery because we know that this is a location that gets utilized, but it's a location that's very difficult to make films in. I don't know, what what have your impressions been on... uh, films that take place in forests uh personally they're not my
0: favorite I think they become more of a backdrop film I mean you got to work with what you got when you think about budgets and all of that and the forest comes in pretty cheap
2: It's also a really inspiring place, even if you're not looking to create any sort of artistic product. It's just a nice place to go walk or meditate or it's photogenic. So I understand why people use it as a location. And also, it's something we see on postcards. It's something we see in photography and in movies. So... It's something we're familiar with that's also widely available and can speak to a region. I mean, I'm from British Columbia, so of course I love forest. And I have made forest films in my day, of course, and done my dance photo shoots where we had the sylphide to-dos and everything. <laughs> you know, I've done all the basic, yes. I've done oh, all no. the basic forest exercises in my dance career. Oh, no. And I understand why we do it. <laughs>
1: I've I've laid on those trees- I've, you know, you know climbed on those roots. I've artistically oh, climbed no. on those roots. Hannah's We've getting secondhand
0: embarrassment. Oh, wait. I did do a forest film. And it was Where the Wild Things Are themed. <laughs> I don't have that file anymore. Aww. It was once on Vimeo. I thought it was cute. <laughs> it was a cute.
2: I, I, of course it was cute. So I'm not
0: embarrassed of it. It was cute.
2: Yeah. Well, speaking of that film, I mean, that is one that is set in the forest that I think as far as just mainstream Mm -hmm. movies and pop culture and stuff like that goes, that's one that I really enjoy. Uh, I was really stoked when they made a movie version of
0: the beloved children's book. Very good. Yeah, that one's good. I love Swiss Army Man by Daniels. I think that (gasps) definitely emulates the the mythical, mystical magic of being alone in the woods and uh there's also a film uh by jordan voight roberts that came out in 2013 called the kings of summer which is a coming-to-age film featuring three teenage boys yes being kings of summer in the forest and i think that's a great film that definitely uh showcases uh building Mm -hmm. your identity becoming growing to who you are
2: also captain fantastic and troop zero um moonrise kingdom i think that an- another motivation for people to make films or you know art in general in the forest too is the nostalgia yeah. that's associated yeah you know all these all these films we're listing either have some epic growth story or some epic bonding mm-hmm. story um You know, it's a place of transformation. You go out into the wilderness, you go out into the forest, and you come back a different person. Absolutely. If you come back at all. all.
1: Yeah. And there's something about, yeah, the otherworldliness of the forest, but also the danger of the forest. To me, um, you know, Blair Witch Project really does that so effectively. And, you know, considering its budget, oh my gosh, you know, they didn't have to go more than half a mile into the forest to make that whole film. And at the same time, you don't necessarily have to go half a mile to a forest to be completely lost. It completely yeah. reorients your your sense of direction. Another one that's that really stands out to me, and it's actually one of my favorite films of the last few years, is, um, and I will shout out my love for this film, to the high heavens, The Green Knight, <laughs> um, a.k.a. Uh, Death <laughs> Patel looking hot and sad for two hours. Um, <laughs> love it. Which overall, it's a, I mean... The main theme, it's a, basically a subversion of Arthurian legend, but there's a great undertone of sort of the power and the devastation of the forest, which is beautifully said in a monologue from um, Alicia Vikander, um, former Royal Swedish ballet trainee, Alicia Vikander, um, which is essentially, it's called the green monologue, where we're looking for red, in comes green. Red is the color of lust, but green is what lust leaves behind. Green is what left when ardor fades, when passion dies, when we die too. Where you go, your fil- footprints will fill with grass. Moss covers your tombstone. I love, I, yes, I have copied and pasted this monologue. I do love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a good one. But the forest really. Communicates this sense of danger and um, this sense of mystery, really like no other location. And for that reason, the location has so much potential for creative world building within it.
2: As you said in our site-specific episode, there's no real blank slate, but the forest is a good combination of a familiar place with epic potential. I see it used a lot, obviously in like fantasy plots or in fairy tales or things like that. Um, But even in something like Nightmare Before Christmas, you have the, all the trees like this image is burned into my memory from childhood, like the round of trees with all the different symbols on them that take you into these different locations. And I think that it is a place that offers that sort of cosmic, epic, massive potential more than some other places. And at the same time, it's accessible. You know, you can't shoot up in the sky as easily. And shooting by the river maybe doesn't have the same effect, you know. So there's something about the forest where I I get it. I get why we see a lot of them. But it's just really hard to do it well and to stand out when there's such a variety.
0: I want to call back to a film that we talked about a while ago, which is Forest Floor by Julie Cleves and Robbie Singe. And I think that is a creative film that showcases creativity in the forest and how to navigate through those difficult challenges uh, with those branches and roots that cover the walkways, especially for those who maybe can't walk on them um i think that's just a film that just really goes through the values of what we can play around with with simple materials
1: absolutely yeah absolutely that's a fantastic film and i think it's fewer than other films that we see i think it really does highlight the almost the treacherous nature the inherent treacherous nature of a forest and almost how so many people take that for granted and another thing i wanted to mention um before we get into the treachery of it all, is just the scale, not only of the height of these trees, but also their age. Um, again, coming from California with these um, you know, multi-thousand-year-old redwoods, um, it, its you, you look up and you're in awe as to like, what they've seen throughout their entire lives. I think um, the oldest... The oldest non-clonal tree is uh, 4,800 years old in um, the Bristol Bristlecone Pine Forest, in, close to Bishop. And also, as we're learning more research about trees, um, I've only scratched the tip of the overstory from uh, Richard Powers, but the trees actually have communication networks, and they communicate and are able to send signals to each other. Um, and the forest is almost like a superorganism in a way. So, you know, there's the famous saying forest for the trees, but like the forest as a whole is one big being.
2: It's truly a network and an ecosystem. It's one environment. And compared to something like a frozen tundra or a hot, arid desert, it doesn't seem to be barren like those places, which do have a lot of life, as we've talked about. But the forest, we know it to be alive. And... I think it's just so fascinating, the communication networks between the trees. That's amazing. But, you know, you also have this layer of, you know, the flora and fauna, and then you have the animal life and the cycles of time. And, you know, when I was researching forest quotes, because of course I thought the mountains are calling and I must go. And I was like, oh wait, that's the mountains. What do I know about the forest? There's probably something else from Muir that I read when I... Went to go see the Redwoods or something, but I couldn't remember anything. So I Googled (laughs) it and I was like, let me see these like forest quotes here. And there was um, a whole bunch, I would say like 30 variations on the idea of people like really corporate types trying to be like, you want to understand about investment? You want to understand entrepreneurship? You want to understand? Like, really? And I got it. It kind of ruined it for me, but I got it. You know, that's an element to there as well is like the passage of time, like you see uh, time and effort before you in this representation of large, tall trees and, you know, animals going through their different stages of life. And you see some that are dead and you see their tracks and it's just all sorts of intersections at one time. And I think for that we get so inspired. But then it's like, okay, but how do we put a dance in here where we're not literally interacting with the wildlife? (laughs) Exactly. But we still feel alive and connected.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's if for that reason for those reasons, filming in forests is very challenging. As we again, as we saw in forest floor, the forest floor itself has variable elevation. There's you're very very rarely going to get a flat barren you know desert like surface inside of a forest because of all that undergrowth and because of all the roots, and any any dance film set is a um, really a minefield for injuries. Forests even more so. It's kind of meta. There's also the (laughs) it's kind of meta that it's like
2: survival of the fittest if you actually want to film there.
1: Exactly, and there are insane lighting challenges. I mean, I know whenever I've had to film inside forest environments, um, I usually have to go high ISO. I have to go, like, open the aperture as much as I can. Um, And even then, maybe you have the, you light well for the forest, but then the sky behind you is going to completely blow out the image. For those out there, try not to raise your ISO that high.
0: (laughs) It's not fun to play with later.
1: No, it is not. Uh, You know those uh, denoising things? They don't actually take the noise out. No, No, they just amplify your mistake. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Additionally, there, at least on forest shoots that I've been on, reliably there's at least half a mile to a mile of walking from wherever you park. So oftentimes you're limited in how much gear you have, how much battery life you have. And so many film productions have a very short window as to how much they can shoot. And then, you know, throw lighting into the mix and the fact that you can't see anything before 9 a.m. or see anything after 3 p.m. in a forest, then you just have the smallest possible window. If you're
2: listening to this episode and you haven't heard all of our other episodes up until this point, we highly recommend going back to the site-specific films episode, because whatever environment you're in, there's going to be so many challenges (laughs) unique to that environment. And, you know, we found a lot of examples of films that are set in the forest that we wanted to talk about today, but we could not go deeply into all of them, or we would be here way too long for this episode it'd be season four would be talking about forest films so we had to just pick a few that we thought did a really good job on certain elements and you
0: know find certain patterns so let's see so what films do you want to talk about
1: well one film that i would like to discuss uh came out fairly recently out of france and that is the film grief which uh was directed and choreographed by uh, Florence Pegat with help from uh, Max Gozzi and Bastien Fisch. And this is actually a very, very swift, very efficiently paced film uh, and also utilizes the forest location very, very well, not only in terms of uh, how it's used technically, but also touching on some of the symbolism that we may associate with these spaces. Yeah, I feel like
0: this film definitely had a representation of what we were talking about earlier on the film's uh, movies that we like, which definitely featured some kind of escapism, but yet there was this grappling of discomfort going on where a disassociation was happening. Um, Also, almost like how we all feel in the real world where there's this harsh reality and talking about the forest as a wild place and feeling that energy and maybe almost being targeted from others or what could be others. um, It definitely had a mix of different things of how do I live? How do I survive without breaking down?
2: Yeah, I definitely had a raw feel without being basic. I mean, I don't know what other word to use <laughs> other than like basic. Uh, you saw, the thing is, I couldn't even say stereotypical because you do see some kind of stock shots that you would see in the forest. But like, what are you going to do? Of course, you're going to look up at the trees. It's a beautiful shot with those leading lines and everything. So it's tough because it's like, okay, how do we do that, do what everyone does, but do it better and then do more? And I think that's what sets this film apart is that it's doing more than just being in the forest. We get the forest, but it is placed in a dynamic with other elements. You have this indoor outdoor location. You have sand. that's basically like a beach film for a minute there. And I think that that mix of different environments makes the forest that much more just the contrast makes it that much more pungent for what it is it's like if you're cooking a meal and you balance the flavors you get to appreciate each of them more because there's that harmony and i think that you rarely see that in a film where it actually gets those multiple locations that also includes the forest where the entire film doesn't rest on the fact that it's set there
1: and something that really intrigues me about this is the construction of I guess I'm supposing Florence, who is the primary mover in this film, because the costuming almost suggests that she is embodying like all of Little Red Riding Hood. She is both the wolf and Little Red Riding Hood. And looking at the statement, seeing that this was based on uh, the the work uh, Women Who Run With the Wolves, you can kind of see that uh, that contrast of sort of like the obeying of the instinct and the honoring of that versus the societal construction of how you're supposed to wrestle with your instincts. I think that that's honestly uh, one of the strongest costuming choices I've seen in dance world for a long time. And I think that that really comes through with that and with the dexposition of locations.
2: It's truly dangerous territory to say we're going to do another version Of Little Red Riding Hood. (laughs) It takes a lot of creativity to make that not seem exhaustive and to actually get people to be like, yes, I'm going to watch this. I think if you had told me before that that's what it was about, I might have, I know I would have viewed it differently. I would have still enjoyed it because it's still great, but it would have had this like baggage instead of me being like, oh, I kind of get it. Like she's got fur, like it kind of unfolds instead of me saying, this is the framework. Here we go. <laughs> I love that she didn't have, like, the cape and the hood the whole time. And mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, the performance was strong. I mean, you can't have a good dance film with weird acting and performance that doesn't connect. So, you know, part of it is that you take this familiar, potentially you're risking being kitschy kind of framework by doing fairy tale. But it works because it's done with this fresh sensibility yeah I
0: feel the same I don't think I viewed it in that lens but as I think about it I see it I think it's kind of more like uh I don't know scream meets little red riding hood in a way because she's just covered in blood and scared for her life (laughs) but definitely in a very moody way so I'll take it and the color palettes are
2: beautiful like the maroon and the gold. Oh I mean, that alone. Yeah. I'm like, please, can that be the color palette for my house? Like, <laughs>
0: I just want to live in that. It's oh, my gosh. So, It's like a warm hug. So let's pivot from the outside and actually go inside. Hey, now. <laughs> this next film is called Outside In. It's by Tove Skiteswold and Petra Sviovic, And this is definitely a different approach uh, from what we have explained from the very beginning of talking about being outdoors and finding freedom. Instead, we're being a little constrained. Uh, We're inside. We're actually on a movie set to, if you can believe it. And I I thought this was a great approach about, I would say the first thing I thought of was the reality of movies. I always like to watch these interviews or listen to these interviews from actors and how they feel when they're making a movie and how that is in contrast from us watching the movie that they're in. Um, Because they always talk about like how they didn't go see the movie afterwards or like they were going through some other things. So uh, that definitely made me think of that. Uh, Claire and Jen, what what were your thoughts watching this film? My first impression from the thumbnail was it looked like a magical
2: realist painting. It looked so fantasy driven. I was like, this is probably going to be a ballet company. You know, it has that, that dusty look. To Not dusty in a bad way when people say things are dusty. I mean, like, literally the room looks dusty or chalky, um, which is another way of making things look epic. And... I just thought it was going to be very stiff in a way, very like beautiful and probably high production value and everything, but maybe a little stiff. And watching it, I was like, oh, this is really pretty. And I was so surprised when a third of the way through, you all of a sudden see the film crew. And I was like, wait a minute, did the editor (laughs) miss this? Like, is this an Easter egg? I was actually kind of stoked at first. And then I was even more stoked when I realized that's actually what the film was doing. Because kind of like what I said about grief, having that balance of different elements amplifies what you're seeing because we know it's a construction. So actually just kind of having that wink and nod and being like, yeah, we know it's fake, but look how good we are at making it look epic. It kind of gives you license to make it look even more amazing than the convincing realism of we're out in
1: nature. And it's very much an idealized look at what you know people think of when they think of nature they think of you know these beautiful essentially like a flat surface with things sticking up they think of that mist coming in they think of you know sort of the almost like the creatures that live in this other world rodents but... of unusual size <laughs> yes yes and i mean especially some of the ironies that we see in the film we, I mean, again, we see that juxtaposition of sort of this, you know, a very much a uh, sanitized version of nature, but nature versus sort of the industrial and sort of the task orientedness of the film set, as well as its greater context, you know, in the middle of winter in Sweden, where we see, you know, the person essentially escape the confines and go out into, I guess, what is really nature and all its harshness.
0: I think what really stood out to me in this besides the fact that it took place on a film set was that moment where she finally reaches that state of flow and concentration and being transported into the forest like this is what we want when we're watching movies we want to see the shadows being presented on the wall and get entranced by the story that is being told to us. And in this case, the location that is built around her is giving off that state of being alone and feeling isolated. In this case, I wouldn't say the forest is exactly creating that, but the energy of the film crew is giving off that energy to her Because as we said, like you could feel lost in a forest and something else that you could also get lost in is just being in the group of people around you or being in the city and feeling like you cannot connect. And I think that's what really gives off a similar connection and disconnection that causes her to live free and find her freedom and find peace throughout that performance
1: let's take a look at a few other films that do follow a um that actually do follow a very concentrated theme and theme from filmmakers who actually tend to excel when it comes to uh making forest films and knowing the history that these filmmakers likely have with the forest it makes a lot of sense so one of these films is "The Earth Will Come," directed, edited, and shot by Caitlin Stiles, um, who actually used to work for Rapt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know him! I know him! Yeah. So this is a actually pretty small scale film, and sort of an absurdist one in a way that features uh, the dancer Kira Kirsch attempting to connect with nature or connect to nature in the context of a worldwide environmental crisis. And there's a lot of absurdity present that's mostly communicated through Kira's quality of movement. And um, I mean, as someone who's taken class with Kira, she is like a movement master, like mind and body all aligned from the get go. And I think it does a nice job of subverting what sometimes we usually see with dance films in forests, and that we do see a lot of very slow meditative, you know, fondling the bark of the tree. <laughs> fondling. Oh, it is fondling kinds You're of, right. <laughs> kinds of What's films. Going on and here? I think that this one Exactly. Oh, she's have, having having an experience with a tree. <laughs> oh, good, good for them. Give them some space. <laughs> but I think that there's like something to Almost the um, the aggression with which Kira really launches at these trees and launches at the environment, almost like desperate for a sense of connection that's not exactly there.
2: It reminded me of a Belgian film I saw called "Walking to Birth," where this it's a very pre- it's literally the description says a very pregnant woman, and she's as the title says walking to birth, trying to find a resting place to deliver her baby. And this kind of remind me of that because there was that same struggle and motivation, but obviously very different movement and plot tension because I was worried that baby was going to come out. Whereas here, I was just more caught up in the great editing and the aesthetics, and
0: I thought it was really well done. I love hearing the sound of the forest, the leaves. There is a moment where she, while she's falling down, she bumps into a tree and all the leaves just fall down like a little confetti moment but it kind of bothered me that it was so forceful her movement in this very wooded forest with lots of leaves there was just so much want and no peak of release We never got there, especially when she puts the whole thing of moss and dirt on top of her face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was still this moment of, I haven't reached anywhere yet. I washed my face after that. It was a
2: great visual, though. (sighs) I think that what this does well, because in contrast to the other ones we really dived in on, this is in the forest the whole time. But I think what it does well are universal things that make any dance film really good. Like I think in the site specific episode, I said signs of life. Like if you get signs of life, like tears or breathing, or in this case, getting that texture and getting really into the forest, like she put a chunk of it on her face. I mean, that's pretty tactile, Mm -hmm. you know, getting that close to it and being in your environment really amplifies it instead of having it feel like a backdrop this film definitely
0: had the reality yeah what we're watching or like experiencing you know we felt this way maybe and the maybe it's her outfit that's doing it for us because she's not dressed for it like these other two films that we've watched which have like a specific look or costume where this is purely pedestrian And being a pedestrian in the forest and trying to find that sense of why we go to the forest and that's to escape, that's to relax, to unwind, to grow, all of the above. And that detail in a way
2: that we can hear as well, just like really good sound design puts us in that environment as well. Because if we were to just hear music and know forest sounds or like random bird sounds and not see birds, it doesn't connect us in the same way. So that level of synchrony actually allows us to feel yeah. like we're there
1: and also worth noting that this even though this depicts a very like seemingly forested environment this is actually uh filmed on the outskirts of berlin um and based on what i know about the artist pretty close to the southeast portion of uh berlin which is a very forested very wooded area which i mean does describe i mean a lot of a lot of that part of germany and a lot of I mean, different honestly, lots of different parts of the world where you have, like, these clearings where you have this metro area surrounded by wilderness. I mean, you can kind of see it in the costuming, that tension between sort of this notion of Western civilized um, dress versus the nature that's pushing back at it. And also something that's worth noting uh, is that, you know, Caitlin Stiles is uh, an indigenous artist. She uh, actually is... uh, now, a member of the uh, Sika tribe of Alaska and uh, Central Council of Tlingit and Haida, and th- some of the stronger entries that we've seen in the Forest Canon do come from indigenous artists, and it makes sense. Indigenous people of any nations, whether that's you know, in- indigenous on the American continent or indigenous in um, in other parts of the world, or like you know, the Sami people in uh, Finland usually are the ones who know how to care for the land the best and really have a like a sensitive approach when it comes to exploring the environment that they're working in. And I think just like we've mentioned, the forest has
2: its own history, the relationship we have to it has a history and the relationship that people have to a land has a history and just different stories carry different weight to them. And there's something about certain stories that we've seen from indigenous filmmakers that are really humbling, really thought-provoking, really just inspire a lot of reflection. Um, You know, I'm thinking of one example is uh, Oshigabawi from, which translates to one stands ready from the Brigham Young University living legends in Utah. And it's a sensitive topic when you're looking at films that look at a social issue because you want to see them represented. You want to see awareness, but you also need to deal with it in a way that doesn't feel inauthentic or exploitative. And I think that this is a really great way. It's a combination of a forest film setting but also social justice awareness. It's addressing missing women and girls, specifically indigenous women and girls. And I think that just having that weight and that context makes it that much more impactful, of course.
0: Yeah. I think it's very important that these places that we film in are recognized for its historical relevance and, But also while you're filming there, you should be recognizing that too and giving it its utmost respect for what is given to you. Even though these lands that we are dancing on are just something that means to us or want to make a cool dance film, it's still a natural space that has these wild, maybe on the bridge of extinct birds animals and so forth but also the trees the leaves the swamps all of that need to be in consideration when moving on them so when you're there take a moment to really take in the space and see what was there before you these lands that we are on are incredibly old guys we're on a rock (laughs) okay and That needs to be recognized that we need to have these locations live beyond us and taking care of those is important and recognizing that there were people living on this land before us, things living on this land before us, and all we can do is live in coexistence and look out for one another.
1: Also, the knowledge that... For the most part, most of us live land tax-free on someone else's land. That's, you know, the crux of the matter. I know that uh, at least I know in many places um, land acknowledgments have become commonplace, but I so strongly encourage anyone uh, to go beyond that and really look up what, who, their, you know, who their local stewards are. And even, I'll go ahead and say, even you know, pay land tax. You know, pay, pay for the land that you are on. There's some, um, sometimes if you go to a show, sometimes a portion of the proceeds are donated to that tax, but it really is a case of engaging with it beyond whatever, you know, beyond the utilitarian nature that you might associate with that land. And that said,
2: you can make a fun film in the forest. It does not have to be heavy and laborious, but... It, you should plan with the amount of detail that it requires for that location. And you should do your research and see all the examples that exist. And hopefully this episode serves as a good guide. There's a lot more films that are listed in the show notes that we didn't even dive into today, but we wanted to mention as further resources for you if you're looking to explore the forest in dance film even more.
1: We hope those seeds are planted. And that you will set your roots but continue to reach outward. <laughs> Grow on. This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah
2: Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team, and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.